Let's try that. Funny how that works. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I tend to be um, a, a little, at least for my own self, because I know myself well enough, I tend to be, uh, be a little cynical about New Year's resolutions just because I, I know myself well enough to know that uh, it may be a good intention, but it's probably not backed by enough substance to carry it out. However, the New Year does kind of, for us, the, just the, that cycle of the calendar where we flip over another, another page and, uh, and look at a, changing a digit on the year, um, it does give us a, a unique time in our, oh, the cycle of things to, uh, as Rob said, to, to evaluate um, where we've been and what we've done and how we did it and, and to kind of think in ahead um, about where we want to go and, and uh, maybe some modifications to make uh, to keep, especially as believers, to be working in the direction of having our life be more fully in step with our Lord and to have our, our days more fully reflect His goodness and His grace and um, His sovereign power. And so as we do that, you know, I think one of the, one of the most challenging things I think to do just um, the, the, because of the way God has wired us, uh, designed us to function, to work, is to try and and look with any sort of optimism or excitement into anything that is coming ahead of us if there isn't hope. Without hope, we can fall into some pretty dark places uh, in, our, in our mind, in our heart, in our soul. It's hope that causes us to, uh, to go through uh, even willingly, some pretty uh, heart-wrenching, challenging, difficult things because of what we know lies ahead. And there's, this uh, hits on one of the major themes of Hebrews. Uh, remember, there's two themes, and, and you, could, you could certainly... Um, you could certainly find some what I might call sub-themes through Hebrews. But two of the, the major themes that I believe resound through Hebrews is one, and it's the loudest, and that is that Jesus is superior. He is superior in every way. Um, he, he is our sinless sacrifice. He is the Son of God. He is our advocate in heaven. And he is our helper on earth. And that message, it just is start to finish through Hebrews. And uh, the second thing, the second theme, I believe, in Hebrews is uh, on the, it stands on the first one. And that is a call for believers to persevere. To persevere this side of heaven and there's a reason why we are to persevere this side of heaven. There's a reason we can persevere this side of heaven. And it is because all because of Christ. 
and the hope that we have in him. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to open up Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15 is where we're going to start. And I will, I will just tell you that as we go through this passage today, we're going to go through the end of chapter 9. And most of what we're going to cover today, we've been dealing with in, in, uh, in previous passages. And so I'm not going to rehash most of what we're going to encounter today, but rather focus on something that actually leans a bit into the, ch- the chapters ahead of us. As, as chapter 9 comes to a close, it kind of leaves us with, a, with some momentum going into what's coming in chapters 10 and 11 and 12, and even 13 really. Um, and so I'm, we're going to end up looking more intently at the last couple of verses of our passage today. So let's, let's, uh, let's take a look at it. Hebrews 9, verse 15, and uh, let me just ask the Lord to direct our steps. Fathers, we open your word today. We're so grateful for it, and we thank you that your spirit empowers it in our lives to take root within us, to produce fruit of, of godliness uh, and righteousness, Christ-likeness in us. And uh, Lord, evermore as we, as we seek to walk in your truths. And Lord, we ask for, for you to lead us into a, that truth today. Um, as you've promised to do, that you would find our hearts and our minds, our souls, a fertile place for your word to be sown today, um, that it would not be um, uh, sown without effect in our lives. But Lord, that you would draw us closer into fellowship with you, that you would uh, help our trust in you to be increased, and um, uh, Lord, that we... um, would have a hope set before us today, just a re-emboldened uh, and maybe even a, an increased perspective of, of this hope that you have laid before us. And so we thank you and ask for your help as we go through your word today, um, that you would be present with us to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews nine fifteen. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established, for a will takes effect only at the death, or only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Uh, Now, Hebrews says, and and we'll continue here for a little bit in chapter 10, uh, remind us that the association of, of sin and sacrifice, and that... While the old covenant, uh, there was a system 
of sacrifice that happened continually for sin uh, because it fell short of forgiving uh, sin fully and purifying the sinner, that there has now come a superior sacrifice in Christ, and in chapter 10 will really hammer that home, a superior sacrifice in Christ where his sacrifice was sufficient one time for all of humanity in all time for all sin. And so, uh, so but the point is being reestablished here that blood is required, that death is required for that sacrifice to be made, for sin to be forgiven, for sinners to be declared righteous, for them to be redeemed from slavery to sin and death. There must be full payment, and that comes at the cost of, uh, of sacrifice. Verse 23, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So remember, this is another theme that we've seen through Hebrews, and it is the contrast between earthly things and heavenly things. That there are earthly things that God has given us that give us a shadow picture of heavenly things. Just as we, uh, you know, we see someone walking, um, and assuming it's not winter time, and at least in North Idaho, you would see a shadow, right? Uh, you don't have to see the individual to know that there's someone there because you can see the shadow. Well, in this, in the perspective of, of history and scripture, that shadow had been cast of the heavenly things, and though it was not the reality yet of those things, it was the shadow of those things, the indicator that those things are real, exist, and that there is something greater than that shadow of things. And so the earthly things like the temple and the sacrificial system and and worship in the temple, it was a shadow of the heavenly things. And that is being revealed to us in Hebrews as that fulfillment of the substance of heaven coming to earth is Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's, uh, we're making that turn here pretty, pretty, um, pretty intently now to really focus very hard on the heavenly things. Um, moving past that contrast of earthly and heavenly things to now focusing just on the heavenly. Verse 24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, so the, the tabernacle, the temple. But into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And we've spoken about that earlier, about Christ our high priest, our superior high priest, who is our advocate in heaven. Continually our advocate in heaven. While simultaneously being our continual help, this side of heaven. Um. So verse, uh, verse 25, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest uh, enters the holy place, um, enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. This is the, the resounding uh, um, uniqueness 
of the sacrifice of Christ is that all those priests that came before, they sacrificed the blood of, of animals. Where Christ, being high priest himself, sacrificed himself. A superior sacrifice and a superior high priest. And his sacrifice was sufficient so that it says here in verse 26, uh, for then he were, if, if, if it was the case that he came to just give continual sacrifice or his sacrifice fell short, uh, he would have had to just keep giving it every year. Um, verse 26, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And then here the, here's the portion that we're going to really focus more in on today. We've talked about that sufficient sacrifice of Christ in uh, previous passages. So um, I'm going gonna, gonna to just assume that that's been driven home by now. Um, if not, you can kind of go back and revisit some of those previous messages. But what we're going to focus in on is verse 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So we have here in verse 27 and 28, there's a a comparison made. Just like it's appointed for man to to have have one life and then, uh, or woman, that people have one life and then they die. And the next thing that comes is judgment from God. And in likeness to that, Christ has come. He has died once as our sacrifice, all-sufficient, perfect sacrifice. And then what comes next is not judgment for those who believe, but salvation. So there's this comparison uh, uh, made, not, not that, that these things are uh, exclusive of one another, but that there's sort of a shadow and then a, 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 a heavenly reality here. The shadow or the, the, the thing that is true uh, for all people is that we have one life and then we die. There is a one-to-one correlation, birth to death, right? All who are born die. Uh, Now you can make a case for certainly uh, uh, maybe a a biblical example for one who didn't, uh, who had a unique ascension into heaven, a ride into heaven. But uh, for the most part, for all of us, it is you're born, you die. Right? And after we die, um, the next thing that comes is the judgment of God where each one of us will, will ha- be judged according to um, our righteousness or lack thereof. And as we know, the Scriptures say that we all fall short of the righteousness required to enter the kingdom of God. That we in and of ourselves do not possess that righteousness. And we can't fix that problem. So what is required then is what is spoken of on the heels of that. So just as it's appointed for man once to die, and then the judgment, so Christ came and gave his life once for sin, 
so that those who believe in him would not experience judgment, but rather salvation. Now, this is a truth that none of us can escape, that, that we, are going to, we are going to die. We are well aware of this. Although, though we spend uh, an incredible amount of our time, energy, and resource to avoid it, 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 is, it is a reality that we all live with. Uh, we deal with it in our grieving as our loved ones die. Um, we see it happen around us. Uh, through tragedy and all sorts of means. And, and it is a constant reminder that this is not the way it's supposed to be. We, we know internally, every time we grieve a loss, every time we hear about it, we know it's not supposed to be this way. This was not the way creation was set up to work. But because of sin entering God's creation... Through mankind, there are a lot of things that are going now like they're not supposed to. There are a lot of things that have been broken, that have been tainted, uh, that have been corrupted, that should not be this way. And we know it. We can feel it inside. Uh, we're, We're aware of it. Whether we've thought through it or not, instinctually we know this is not right. And there's a day coming when Christ returns where all things are going to be made new. Where the things that have been corrupted are going to be perfected. A new heaven and a new earth and those who have died in Christ will be resurrected in perfection. The way that God designed it to be. But until that day, the thing that we have to live with is a reality that we will, we will die. Now the question for us isn't whether we will or won't die, but what we're going to do on this side of that to affect the other side of it. Scripture has laid before us some incredible promises. Some uh, are horrific to think about. The promise of God's judgment for those who reject Him. The promise of of eternal wrath being poured out upon us if we reject uh, Christ. Some of those promises are are just uh, uh, incredible, mind-blowing, like too good for us to even really uh, hardly begin to take in. And that is the promise of being with God for eternity. Entering into, as Hebrews says, an, an eternal rest. And now this is not a rest like um, when we say rest in peace, like we picture like, I'm not even sure what we imagine that to mean, right? Um, but, but rather a rest as in there's been a striving on this side of heaven. And now you enter into a place where there's no more striving. Man, does that sound good? Like probably, probably there was a time for those of you who have reached uh, what you might call retirement, although you probably question what retirement really is. It's just pretty much working and not getting paid, right? Um, 
But there was probably a time where you imagined retirement sort of being like that rest that you enter into. And now those of you who are there, you realize, no, that was a lie, right? But there is a time coming when we step into eternity where we step into a rest for our soul, our weary soul that has been doing battle and struggling through the corruption this side of heaven. That fight, that constant fight with sin, that, that constant uh, shadow of death around us, um, that we get to rest from that. That's coming. We have a, a tremendous hope that we have been given to us in the promises of God that lie before us. We are tasting of it now. We get tastes of that rest. So what the Bible refers to of the Sabbath, not just the Sabbath a day, but a Sabbath a rest, a type of rest of the soul that we get to experience this side of heaven, but it's incomplete. It's interrupted. It is, it is hit and miss uh, in that we have not yet perfected how to walk in that rest. And, and it's not going to happen this side of heaven because there's going to be the constant striving of, of being in a world that is broken with sin. So while our soul will taste, uh, will get tastes of that Sabbath rest, we are not quite yet, there yet. But it is coming. You know, when we think about... Um, Think about groups of people that have gone through, as a, as a people, have gone through times of suffering as a people. One of the things that often flows out of those, those time periods where a people suffers, uh, especially among those who believe in God, are, are, is music that is constantly pointing to the hope of heaven. Think of the spirituals of the slaves uh, a lot of songs from Appalachia that where peoples went through some very hard lives and what they held on to was not that this year's going to be better, although I'm sure they hoped for that. That wasn't what kept them going. It was looking beyond 2023 or 2043 or whatever. It's looking beyond that to something eternal that can never be taken away. Rich or poor, suffering or, or on top of the game. Whatever the case may be, that there is something lying before us that, that is, is so far greater than what we can experience now, whether we call this day good or bad from, a, from a, uh, our finite standpoint. That there's something so superior to that that lies before us for eternity um, that we can endure whatever is required of us. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the kind of thing Paul's talking about. This side of heaven, I can do everything that God has required me to do because he is with me to strengthen me and I have this hope of heaven lying before me. See, perseverance and hope are intimately connected. This call to persevere without any hope of heaven, without the heavenly promises, is, boy, 
it, it's, it's, you know, it's like asking me to run a world record 100 meters. It's not going to happen, no matter how much I train. It is not going to happen. And we will not persevere without hope. It will not happen. The call to persevere in Hebrews is founded upon the promises given to us in Hebrews. You know, there are, um, there are I counted up just in a, in a somewhat quick pass. I kind of did a couple of passes through Hebrews, and I, I did a, a quick count on the number of direct references to perseverance. Now, it doesn't mean the word itself, perseverance, is used, but rather that there's something stated that is, is a direct call for believers to persevere. 21 times I counted. Now, that does not take into account um, passage that, passages that infer perseverance, where you would read it and, and, and gather that this, this is a collective call in this passage that I'm supposed to persevere, but these are just direct references uh, of perseverance. 21 times. And then as I was counting these things up, I realized that there are two whole chapters devoted to this. Chapter 11 and chapter 13. Two whole chapters that are devoted to perseverance. Um, Chapter 11, in discussing the perseverance of saints who have come before us. And chapter 13, laying out a very practical nature of what perseverance looks like for us this side of heaven in our daily routines. What's interesting is those, each of those references of perseverance almost every time coincides with a refer- direct reference of the hope that we have. Um, I mean, I counted in, 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 when I went through this, there were only maybe a couple that you might say aren't in, a, in the passage, aren't directly tied to um, a mention of the hope that we have in heaven. Now, I counted 25 references direct references to our hope, the hope uh, that we have of heaven, the hope that we have of salvation, the hope of heavenly reward, um, that these references are tied to the hope that we have in Christ. And these calls to persevere are almost always lined up in the passage either before or right after um, the mention of the hope that we have in heaven. Now, um, I would also argue that in direct references of hope, that not only do we have those 25 references, but that we have the whole book of Hebrews. I would just submit the whole book of Hebrews as a collective reference to this hope that we have. So this call to persevere for us, it stands on the hope that we have of heaven. And the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is seeking to drive home that point. It, it is, Christ is superior, and it lays it out before us how Christ is superior in every way, especially in, in, as it relates to our means of inheriting an, inter, an eternal kingdom and being blessed by God for eternity. 
So then, we are called this side of heaven to persevere through every challenge, through every difficulty, through every suffering, through every hard thing that we might encounter this side of heaven. And we persevere, keeping our eyes... Oh, now we're starting to sound like Hebrews 12, aren't we? Keeping our eyes fixed on Christ and the hope of heaven. Psalm 14... Verse 1. Ah, there it is. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. There are those who say and who believe that there is no God. And because there is no God, there's no real consequence for sin. I mean, there may be, you know, sin is is perhaps just a cultural construct. And so there's no real consequence for sin. And if there's no God, there is no real reward for seeking Him. There are those who believe that, and maybe you're one of them. But whether you believe that or not, it doesn't change the reality that we have one life and then a death and then the next thing that we're going to experience is the judgment of God. So whether we believe, whether we say that there is no God doesn't change the reality that He exists, that He created all this. That he created us in his image. It doesn't change that. Um, I can close my eyes and believe that you're not there. Yet you are. Right? Um, So what I believe and what I think doesn't dictate truth and reality. But hopefully, as we encounter truth and reality, that will rather dictate what we think and believe. And the reality is that there is a God who created this world that we live in, that created you and I, and we will be held accountable to him at the end of our days, and that we will fall short of his kingdom, and we will suffer his wrath unless we please him with our righteousness, which scripture says falls miserably short and cannot be done. But God, in his perfect wisdom, in his perfect love, in his perfect grace and mercy, has sent his son to die for us, to make that payment for sin for us. So that those who believe in him would stand before God, not clothed with our miserable excuse for righteousness, but rather be clothed with his righteousness. That we will be judged based on the righteousness of Christ, not based on our very disgusting, corrupt uh, version of righteousness. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, in the mentioning, uh, mentioning of, of so many um, who have trusted God, though they couldn't quite see how God was going to uh, fulfill His promises, Verse 6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists 
and that he rewards those who seek him. You know, Scripture is not shy in, in actually talking about a reward to those who trust in him. Now, I, I understand that there's probably, like me, uh, you may be a little uncomfortable with this idea that we get a reward for walking with God and pursuing him, obeying him. Because if you're like me, you feel this sort of unworthiness that he has already gone to great lengths to save me, that the last thing I deserve is a reward for what he has done, right? Uh, I, I enter the kingdom of God not because I did anything, but because by his mercy and grace, he saved me. So I'm hard-pressed to, to, in any way, shape, or form, say I'm worthy of some kind of reward. But the scriptures are not shy in saying that there is a reward to those who trust in him, who persevere in that trust in him, who walk in obedience to him. Now, I am inclined to think that um, I need to think more like Scripture and less like this weird inclination that I have to disagree with God that, that there should be any reward. He, he designed this, right? I mean, I don't know what that reward's going to look like exactly, but uh, he says that it's coming. Well, it's got to be better than anything I could come up with. That's for sure. So, whatever reward there is in our obedience, in our pursuit of Him, it is completely worthy. Or it is completely worthy of our, of our pursuit. And those who seek Him are promised a reward, and a heavenly reward. But I think that we are also... Um, privilege to a taste of that reward this side of heaven. That reward is both heavenly and earthly. In fact, Hebrews uh, points to both the heavenly and the earthly, more, most emphatically to the heavenly, uh, the eternal. But there is also an earthly reward for those who seek him. The heavenly rewards, of course, are salvation, um, a closeness with God, Um, an inheritance of eternal life, being included in the family of God. Um, We could go on with many. But there's also an earthly dynamic to the reward for those who seek God. And that is, um, Hebrews talks about the help that comes this side of heaven through him. Um, Healing, um, various ways that God heals um, his presence, um, many ways that God shows himself this side of heaven and rewards those who seek him. You know, as we think about, um, as we think about 2023 and none of us know what the days uh, ahead hold and if 2020 taught us anything, it's that uh, Whatever you think is coming, it, it may be way different than that, right? Um, one thing I know, and, and Rob alluded to as well, and that is that 2023 
is going to hold many opportunities, many blessings. It's going to hold many victories, and it's going to hold many joys. But in the midst of that, it's also going to hold many challenges, many difficulties, and many forms of, of suffering uh, for different for each of us. And these are all an important part of our walk with Christ. They're all important as it relates to us drawing closer to Christ, trusting Him more completely, being strengthened by the Holy Spirit day by day, glorifying God with our life, and testifying to His salvation and His love and His faithfulness and His grace. But as Hebrews warns, those things are only for those who persevere in Christ. And if we're going to persevere, then we really need to grasp what Hebrews is trying to communicate to us here. And it is that we have a, a heavenly reward that, that so far exceeds anything we can even comprehend this side of, of heaven. That, that we can press on through anything, both because we have the, His presence with us to give us help right now when we need it, and we have this hope of where we're going, where we're, where, where we're headed, that just compels us to keep going, uh, even when our boots are just caked with mud, right? When our legs are heavy, and we feel like we can't take another step, we know what's just... What's ahead of us here is worth just keeping one foot going in front of another until we get there. The key is keeping our spiritual eyes, our heart, our mind, our soul focused on Christ and the blessings and rewards promised to those uh, who persevere in that. So as we continue on through chapter 10 and chapter 11 with so many great examples of faith, then right on the heels of that comes chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If we keep our eyes on Christ going into this new year, we're going to find that we have a, a hope to hold on to that will help us through every part of it. So I know that uh, I know that we're all going to face a lot of different things, and there may be some things that lie ahead this year that even for our church body collectively might be challenging. I have no idea. Who knows what lies ahead? But whatever it is, we know this: God is unchanging, and this hope that He has given us, His promises, they are unfailing, and they can't be stolen away. And they won't be corrupted. But so long as our treasure is kept in heaven, we have it in a place that is secure. 
So church, as we lean into this next year, keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Uh, Cultivate habits in your daily life that help you to do that. Um, Work at building conversations into your days that encourage others to keep their eyes fixed on Christ. This is really the message of Hebrews as we start nearing the end of, of Hebrews is, is to live that out and walk it out. Because I'm confident that he who began a good work us, in us is going to be faithful to complete it. That the gates of hell will not triumph against the kingdom of heaven. And so we stand firmly on that. And we lean into what lies ahead. Uh, as uh, the, um, our kids' gymnastics coach used to tell them to fall on their face. Right? You lean into it, what you're doing. You commit to it because we can trust our faithful creator. Let's pray. Lord, we, we ask that you would, that you would just uh, continue to teach us, Lord, today and each day before us um, just how to, to walk in the fullness of your spirit how to walk in step with you. Lord, let us cling tightly to the promises you've given us that, Lord, we we have a kingdom that we are a part of that while we don't taste fully of it yet, we know that we have a promise of eternity. Free from all the the things that really um, are, are hard this side of heaven. Lord, and we look forward to that. And we ask that you would just continue to teach us how to persevere, how to, how to hold tightly to you. And um, Lord, to, to rest in the knowledge that so long as we walk with you, uh, that we're in the exact right spot that we need to be. And that we are under your protection. And that we will be under your blessing as well. Lord, I ask that you would bless this church body, Lord, that collectively we would have one heart um, and, and one mind in your spirit that we pursue you together, that our desire collectively is your glory, that the message that we desire to proclaim is of your salvation. Lord, we, we ask that you would empower us as, as your people to live that out in this next year, in this community, um, in, in the communities that we are connected to, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our places of employment, and other groups that we are a part of, Lord, that we, we walk this out that the hope of heaven would be ever on our heart. Lord, we pray this in in Jesus' name. Amen. We come now to our our time of, of communion as we remember the sacrifice of Christ.
we'll, um, there are three stations, two, one there, one there, and after 12, that just seem to be uh, kind of the, uh, the climax of, of Hebrews. It occurs to me that chapter 11 is uh, what we often call the hall of faith. Um, it's a remembrance of all those who trusted God, even though they couldn't quite make out how his promises would be fulfilled. And um, it's not an exhaustive list of those who trusted in God in such a way. It's just a list of examples of those who did. And it also occurs to me that it's not an exhaustive list of all those who through the ages have trusted in him in such a way. In fact, as I think, I I, I ponder, I wonder if Hebrews 11, if there's a, a, a fuller version of Hebrews 11, um, when we get to heaven, that may well include the names of the folks here. So live in such a way that God has called you into and that you belong in the extended version of Hebrews chapter 11. People who took God at his word and their lives showed it. Lord bless and keep you all.